This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. We are two days out from draft day. And Tua has easily become the most fascinating prospect in this year's class. There are some, like me, who believe he's the best quarterback in the draft. Others think he's too big of a risk. We had Jonathan Jones on the show yesterday. He had him dropping all the way to number 17 in his CBS mock draft. To me, whenever there's this much information to consume, it's wise to take a step back, look at the broader picture, and position puzzle pieces in the places that make the most sense. For Tua, there's only one team that I think makes too much sense. That team is the Los Angeles Chargers. I don't see Tua falling past number six. Look at this, uh, the moves they've made in the offseason, and I think it becomes pretty clear. It starts with a trade involving the Carolina Panthers. Tua, he's going to need protection like any quarterback. And the Chargers, they traded away a Pro Bowl left tackle in exchange for the Panthers' Pro Bowl guard, Trey Turner. Trey Turner being five years younger, about five years younger than Okun. They also signed in the offseason, right at the start of the free agency period, Brian Balaga. Very good right tackle for the Green Bay Packers. Everybody was thinking these moves were connected to Tom Brady, and maybe they were. The Chargers, they had their pitch to Tom. I'm sure it was something like, listen, we're going to protect you with Trey Turner here, and we're going to protect you with this right tackle, Balaga we just brought in. Heck, and to solidify it even more, you know we have great weapons. We are willing to commit our number six pick to an offensive tackle, one of these great tackles like Jedrick Wills or Thomas or Tristan Wirfs, if you decide to be a Charger. Brady passed and went to Tampa instead. So I think a lot of people wrote off L.A. saying, eh, their plan was spoiled. They did everything they can to get Tom Brady. But anytime you're a CEO or you're the head of a business or a general manager of a company, you're trying to think about plans A, B, C, D, because life is such that it never happens the way that you always initially plan for it to. The Chargers lose out on Brady. I believe Tua to be plan B because, once again, they shored up the offensive line. And what makes me think They value Tua more than Herbert is this. What is the most valuable position on the O-line? Heck, what's the second most valuable position on offense altogether after the quarterback? Usually it's the left tackle. Because why? They protect the quarterback's blind side. That's because most quarterbacks are right-handed. Tua isn't. He's left-handed. So I think it's pretty darn significant that the Chargers have shored up the right side of that O-line. Trey Turner, Pro Bowler, Brian Balaga. 
right tackle for Aaron Rodgers the last handful of years. I don't think that's coincidental. If you're going to bring in a left-handed quarterback, you better lock up the right side of the line. And you got Balaga at a pretty good rate because, again, Balaga doesn't know who he's going to be protecting for. He doesn't know he's going to protect for a lefty. So I think that's going to be the plan for L.A. going further. Tom Telesco, GM. He's answered all quarterback questions pretty much the same way. Hey, are you going to pick up Brady? Uh, We're going to evaluate every other option, and we're going to be focused on the draft. Is Tyrod Taylor going to be your guy moving forward? We like Tyrod, but we're also going to be focused on the draft. Are you looking at Cam Newton? Uh, We're evaluating all of our options, but we like Tyrod, and we're focused on the draft. They're telling it right to you. They are going to try and fulfill their needs at quarterback through the draft. I don't know if they're going to trade up to take Tua. They might not have to. I think the Chargers, in the end, will be taking Tua at number six. The Chargers, they're one of the five most aggressive teams in the league. When I think aggressive teams, I think Tampa Bay that just traded for Rob Gronkowski and has a 43-year-old quarterback an aging coach that came out of retirement just before last year, they're pushing their chips to the center of the table saying, we're trying to win right now. The Colts are doing that. They just signed Phillip Rivers, 38 years old. The Texans are doing that. Bill O'Brien trading for Laramie Tutsil, trading for Kenny Stills, sacrificing draft capital that's going to help this team in the future, trading away a second rounder for Brandon Cooks, in an effort to try and win right now. That's what the Texans are trying to do. The Falcons, Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn, their job's in question. So what do they do? They sign Todd Gurley. There's a report that they are trying to get into the top five in the draft and pick Jeff Okuda. That's according to Chris Mortensen yesterday. That's an aggressive team. Those coaches... That GM doesn't know if they can survive another year without making it to the postseason. I feel like the L.A. Chargers are in a similar spot. Double-digit wins two years ago, but with an oftentimes uh, unreliable owner, dysfunctional organization in L.A., who knows if Anthony Lynn's going to keep his job if they don't make the playoffs again. The Chargers, you're either selling hope or you're selling success. If you're not going to make the playoffs, what do you have to sell? Herbert? I don't know if that's going to sell. Tua, most talked about prospect. No pressure. You could sit him behind Taylor this year. The same way the Cleveland Browns planned to two years ago with Baker being the backup to Taylor. The Chargers, they have a new stadium. This would generate a buzz. He is the most noteworthy draft pick being taken this year. Even more than Joe Burrow, people know Tua. He is the most polarizing name. I think he has the highest upside. It's a gamble, but the Chargers are in a position to be aggressive, so I think it just makes too much sense. Take a step back. Look at the broader picture. Tua is the Chargers guy. On Twitter, at SportsUpTryant, 336-777-1600 is the phone number if you want to chime in. In 20 minutes, we're going to be joined by Jim Zoki from the Panthers Radio Network.
to get the Panthers' side of the story. He's been on the Panthers radio network since their inaugural season in 1995. Now, anybody who's been listening to this show for the last month and change probably has gotten this message, but we've purposefully on this show have stayed away from talking about much of the coronavirus. My advertisers, my bosses, you in the audience, when you listen to sports radio, you expect to hear my expertise on sports. I'm not an expert on contagious viruses. Sports radio is often an escape, and that's how we're going to keep things. However, I have been reading a lot, and with good news we've seen in the last 72 hours, I do feel comfortable enough to say I expect all professional sports are going to return at some point this year. Listen to what I'm saying there. All professional sports. College, there is still a lot of red tape there. What happens with universities? Is it going to be online classes? Are they going to be on campus? What do you do with the non-revenue generating sports this fall? I st- I'm still optimistic they're going to find a way to recoup TV money there because that's how a lot of athletic departments are funded, whether it's the ACC network, the Big Ten network, the SEC network, TV deals with CBS, ESPN, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot more red tape where I can't say that for certainty. When I heard Dr. Anthony Fauci last week say that he believes they can safely play professional sports if there are no fans in the stands, I thought it was a lot that they're going to find a way to bring this back. Major League Baseball, they had that proposal in Phoenix. The NBA reportedly is looking at Las Vegas or Los Angeles to hold their playoffs, maybe a few games of the regular season before they go straight into the playoffs. The NHL reportedly is looking at North Dakota. You've seen a lot of these things. If Anthony Fauci gives it his blessing, it's going to happen. I think Dr. Burks has been really good, and you have government officials working directly with commissioners and sport owners. You got Mark Cuban, NBA owner, who's on the task force to reopen the government. Gary Bettman, Roger Goodell, Adam Silver. They're a part of this as well. Vince McMahon. You have Vice President Mike Pence working with the college football playoff committee. So sports is going to be a part of this reopening. But this is what I keep going back to. Players and leagues, they're going to want to salvage paychecks. The league side is the only one that gets talked about in this. Oh, these players are going to be away from their families for four months. There's no way that's going to happen in Phoenix. If you're going to have them sequestered away in a biodome-like setting just to play Major League Baseball games, what value do you have on the players? Do you just view them as meat? I've heard all of these things, and I disagree with it because the players in the leagues have the same interest here. They want to salvage paydays. The networks, they want to accomplish the same thing. They see that the WNBA draft is drawing ratings last Friday night. They see a sports documentary is tripling the ratings of Duke, North Carolina nationally when that game goes to double overtime in Chapel Hill this year. They want to get programming out there. The leagues, a lot of the paydays are funded by the TV networks, so they're going to want to get something on TV too. And the players, they want to make the exorbitant amount of money that they're due to make. 
talking about your family in the Major League Baseball setting. During the summertime, during this time, normally, these players, they're not making it home for dinner. Like, these guys, they're playing 162 games during the summer. These families are used to the players being gone for two weeks on end at least once a month. This isn't abnormal. I'll tell you what they want for the family. Hey, how about you make the $25 million salary you're set to make this year? Oh, but Josh, that's not every player's making $25 million. If it's $500,000, that's significant too. So everybody has an interest to get this done, and that's why I believe it's ultimately going to get done. Usually when everybody has, when everybody's incentivized to get something done, and they've been clear, uh, given clearance as well from people in the government, such as a Fauci, it happens. So get ready for it. When? That's a big question mark. It seems golf's going full speed ahead in the middle of June. I think around that time, you're going to see the NBA back. You're going to see Major League Baseball back, the NHL as well, and the NFL through all of this. They're still holding a draft on Thursday night. You honestly believe the NFL isn't going to find a way to play their games in September? Come on now. That's awesome. Well, that's not totally true. He talks about The Bachelorette, too. Yes! The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. We are still reacting to the breaking news in the NFL. First, it was Rob Gronkowski wants to return to the NFL only to play for Tampa Bay, though, which would require New England trading him to Tampa. Then 30 minutes later, Adam Schefter reports, it's happened. Gronk and a seventh-round pick going to the Bucks in exchange for a fourth-round pick in this year's draft. But here's the latest news I can bring you. In Las Vegas, odds are already being affected by this Gronkowski news. And even the rumor in that 30-minute stretch moved lines. According to a friend of mine, Ariel Epstein, who does stuff on the gambling front in New York City, she says that the Bucks once were at 17-1 to 1 odds to win the Super Bowl. Going into the day, that was their odds. And then right as the news dropped that Gronk was looking at being traded to the Bucks. They became 14-1 to 1 favorites to win the Super Bowl. And now that the news is in and it's final, the Buccaneers are 12-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. So Gronk has moved the Bucs from 17-1 to 1 to 12-1. to 1, And all the Buccaneers gave up in order to make that happen was a fourth-round pick. And they also added a seventh-rounder to their draft capital this year. To further discuss this, Jim Zoki now with us from the Panthers Radio Network. I'm getting this via text and via email, Jim. With this news with uh, Gronk, the question is, who do you have as the favorite to win the NFC South right now? Is it still the the, uh, the New Orleans Saints? Or have you seen enough with Brady now being equipped with Gronk to say maybe Tampa Bay? You know what, Josh? I'm a Panthers announcer. I only have one answer. <laughs> it's like the coach saying, I don't think we can win the division. So, you know, as long as I am part of the Panthers, I'm always going to think the Panthers will have a chance. But, yeah, New Orleans looks like the best team on paper to me. Uh, that would be an upset to beat New Orleans. Uh, Tampa Bay, obviously, is right there in the picture. Wait till they sign Wes Welker tomorrow. That will really put Tampa Bay over the top. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe on top of that, they can add Dion Branch. Maybe they could start yeah. looking at Randy Moss. Who knows? Yeah, those are some guys they could look at. Um, the Panthers are picking in the top ten for the first time with David Tepper as the owner. Obviously, Matt Rule, new head coach. You bring new philosophy. How do you think the Panthers are going to balance need versus best player available at number seven? think for any team and any GM, I mean, if there's somebody that surprises you that's there and they're just by far on your overall draft board, the guy, and I would say they're looking defense, but there's like an unbelievable offensive option there at seven or whether it be second or third round, you don't pass on a great talent that you didn't expect to be there. You can move a player, you can do things. So I would say defense is where they're going to go, but uh, yeah, you always, always draft the best available player if they become, you know, obviously there's certain positions where you wouldn't. I don't see us going quarterback based on Bridgewater and P.J. Walker coming in. Uh, but maybe they thought somebody at left tackle, that could be the guy, that could be the uh, heir apparent to Russell Okun if they think he's there at seven that they wouldn't have normally taken. But i got to believe as much attention they paid to the offense and free agency that it's got to be a defensive draft overall. Gut feeling, where do you think Tua goes? I think Miami at five. I think still the tank for two will work. They just they were able to get them at five instead of one. I think there are you know obviously the Joe Burrow thing's going to happen, uh, but I think there are other teams that have other needs in between. And I don't know that in this draft in these circumstances with his medical that somebody will trade up and make that move this year. So I think he sits there until five, and Miami ends up with uh, with Tua. It's Jim Zoki with us on Twitter at Jim Zoki from the Panthers Radio Network. So, obviously, you're hoping the Panthers have a lot of success, as you said, kind of at the top. Who's going to be the pick you're most excited to see Carolina take on seven? Who's the guy that you'll be fist-pumping in excitement if Carolina selects at seven? You know, one thing they've done is they've told the truth about the process and what they've done and the way they've gone about it. And uh, one of the things they've talked about, and I don't think it would be entirely this way, but in, in a general term, this kind of positionless defense at certain positions. And there's nobody that fits that in the top 10 any better than Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. And not that you wouldn't hand him a position, but he's versatile enough that you could move him around. Like Thomas Davis coming out of Georgia as a safety and becoming a linebacker. I think Simmons will eventually be uh, you know, purely a linebacker in some way in this league. But uh, he fits exactly what they're doing. I think Derek Brown would be great, but it's a really deep interior defensive lineman draft. I think you can come back in the second or third round and get a really good one. I think Simmons is unique. So uh, I think he might be the guy, if he's still there, number seven, that would be the one that would probably, for me, for the defensive side, that would be the best pick. In the days leading up to the draft, Jim, what information do you value most? What information do you trust that's being put out there? None of it. Not a, not a word. Don't believe any smoke signals. Don't believe anything you're saying out there. People don't know. And this year in particular, I mean, there's just so much less open dialogue. Uh, I think it's going to be, by nature, a draft where there'll probably overall be a little bit less maneuvering because it's a little bit more difficult to communicate. And I also think you'll probably see more going with the bigger college guys, a little bit less on the smaller college guys, at least early on. you got a guy like you know, Duggar, the defensive back out of Lenore Rhyme, he'll probably go second round, maybe third round, somewhere there, but probably second round. Uh, so, you know, maybe he would go a few positions earlier in a different draft, but in this one, Power Five conferences, that kind of thing is probably going to be more the protocol. Jim, it's good to hear your voice, man. Stay safe in the Queen City. Good to hear from you. You too. Thanks, Josh. You got it. That's Jim Zoki from the Panthers Radio Network on Twitter at Jim Zoki. I guess I have to be prepared for it to be windy out. 
Yeah, I hope he's okay in that hurricane out there. That he's just, I don't know if he was swimming in a pool or uh, You guys happened. are very distracted throughout today's show. There's like law enforcement officers right outside our studio. Not even for a cool reason, man. I thought oh, we didn't even did check you figure out why? No, we didn't figure out why, but it wasn't for something cool. There was no fight. There was nobody in handcuffs, no tasers drawn. Have you ever seen a good fight break out? Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. My favorite fight that I've ever seen, ever. Let me hold you up real quick. This is great teasing. We'll get to Robert's great fight story. Oh, my God. Um, if you have a really good fight story, I have three or four minutes left in this segment. I have time for one or two. 336-777-1600. Give me a good fight story. Robert, go right ahead. When uh, I, I think you're aware of this bar, pretty uh, pretty good in your memory, but maybe others aren't. There's a bar. It's a little hole in the wall in Greenville, North Carolina, uh, called Five Nineteen Greenville America. And the place, if I could set the scene for you, is like an Applebee's is in the fact that there is memorabilia all over their walls. Floor is sticky and people draw on the walls. That was my next point. Is it's kind of like walking in a movie theater on the ground. Your your feet are either going to be very sticky or very slippery depending on what substance was spilled on it. And not a lot of real estate. There is not a lot of space. Josh, you are hitting all the notes I needed to hit before I got to this fight. Um, I am a people watcher when I am downtown. I love to to watch people and wonder how their night's going, wonder how uh, they are interacting with the people around them. And I notice this guy at the end of the bar who looks very perturbed by something. Something is is, is off about him, and I, I couldn't figure it out, but I kept watching. And I see someone else at the end of the bar who is just yik-yakking. Like, their, their chin is hitting their chest. They're talking so fast. Oh, that's what that means. Yes, there you go. They, they're just going and going and going, and... I find out that he's talking crap to this guy, and he has been talking to him for some time. And old dude keeps talking, and I tell my friends about it, so we're all wa- watching. I can only imagine down the bar this looks like like eyes peeping around a door corner. That's Everyone is watching you. And this dude is just giving him some lip, and the guy walks up and pushes him. The guy, I, which I, I hate this in fights. I'm going to push you. You're going to push me. The guy responds with a push of his own, and then the guy that looked perturbed hits this guy one time. And his feet don't fly back. They fly forward as his head is projected towards the wall. And this dude does a backflip as this guy punches him. I'm not even kidding. I'm not kidding. I don't know if the floor was slick or what, but his feet go over his head when this guy punches him. So he him. doesn't go down in the back? No, he, he, he is a backflip. Not down and to the back. Yeah, he took a backflip. Yes, he he goes all the way back, and the bartenders pick this dude up and and just move him out. They carried him out like Jesus of Nazareth, like they, like on their shoulders. <laughs> he was knocked out cold. Slumped when you when he flipped. Did you hear? Woo-woo, you, woo-woo, you, you you didn't hear that, but you did hear his body <laughs> slap the ground uh, as he hit. Gosh, uh, how did we get on this? We asked about fight stories. Uh, oh, that's right. You said there wasn't a fight outside. You were excited to see if there was going to be one. And I hate it. And reconnaissance work. Gosh, that same place that we were at in uh, Greenville, America, the place you're describing, uh, it, it's commonplace for women to dance on the bar on their birthday. Yes. Right? I remember one time there was a girl dancing on that bar, and she fell on the <laughs> other side, like trying to get up, fell on the other side I of the bar. It. 
and she was so embarrassed, she sprinted out the door, <laughs> and her friends didn't see her the rest of that night. Like, I'm just people watching her friends, and they're like, where is Casey? <laughs> Casey is she, out. It's okay. Like, they're on the phone, but they're, Casey, it's okay. Some it's other fine. girl fail. It's all right. Come back. If you're going to fall in that bar, why would you fall to the bar side? Why would you not fall? She on... accidentally fell. I don't think she planned to fall. <laughs> if you were planning to fall, I would just crowd surf. There's enough people in no. there you could ride out the door. I, I think maybe one time. Me and Hayes Permar danced on a bar once. Really? Yeah. You think or twice, you know? Twice it's happened. I'm trying to remember where. I don't. Oh, well. Ugh. Must have been a really good night. I'll tell you the best and worst case scenarios for the Panthers through the first four rounds of the draft. Next. The Drive with Josh Graham. He's confident, smart, witty, vicious, brutal, vindictive, a monster. This is an evil Maybe, but he knows his sports. Back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Before I get to the best and worst case scenarios for the Panthers in the draft through the first four rounds, I want to share this text message I got. My friend Chris, he hits me with Gronk smash Bucks favorite to win the NFC South. And I'm seeing a lot of that. Odds are changing. People are all in on the Bucks. It's new. It's flashy. There's stars. It's Brady. It's Gronk. These wide receivers that no one cared about a year ago unless you were a hardcore football snob. Godwin and Evans, they're now being sold as if they're Randy Moss and Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, or whatnot. And they're going to be good. I like Tampa. I think they're a playoff team. I felt that way going into today. However, pump the brakes on NFC favorite Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Heck, pump the brakes on NFC South favorite Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I still think it's the New Orleans Saints' division. And it's because in sports and in life, I favor the known Versus the unknown variables. I favor known quantities versus things that might be unproven or things that we haven't seen yet. Tom being anywhere else other than New England is, regardless of how you feel about Brady, an unknown variable. Brady not being with McDaniels, Brady not being with Belichick, Brady being out of that environment, out of that culture. We don't know quite how that's going to translate immediately. Also, during an offseason where the coronavirus has upended everything, Brady's not able to work out with his receivers the way that he he would want to. He's not even able to work into a uh, work out in a park in Tampa Bay without somebody yesterday saying he had to go because things were shut down there. I think this affects teams with new head coaches, new quarterbacks, new coordinators more than the teams that they don't uh, that don't have as much turnover. The New Orleans Saints, they are still rolling. Same offensive coordinator, same defensive coordinators, same head coach, same quarterback, same Taysom Hill. 
Not a lot of different pieces, even though I think New Orleans offseason has been slightly underrated because of all the quarterback movement we've seen. Not a lot of people are talking about Emmanuel Sanders being a saint. Not a lot of people are talking about Malcolm Jenkins returning to New Orleans from Philadelphia. High character, great, consistent safety, great locker room guy. Jenkins is going to be an added addition, a tremendous player for Dennis Allen, who is an incredibly underrated coordinator, probably the most underrated coordinator out there. I don't see Dennis Allen being discussed as a head coaching candidate pretty much anywhere. He's been awesome with the Saints defense. Oh, but Josh, Gronk and Tom have a great connection. Gronk didn't play last year. And even though I will concede Godwin and Evans to be a better wide receiver tandem than whoever you want to pair Michael Thomas with, I'll still take the weapons of New Orleans over Tampa Bay's. Give me Michael Thomas, Jared Cook, Alvin Kamara over Brady, Gronk, Godwin, and Evans. The Buccaneers, they still need to upgrade the running back spot. So I'm going to bank on what I know versus what I don't know. I'm going to especially do that with off-season programs, OTAs being upended by the coronavirus. Give me the New Orleans Saints to win the NFC South. My opinion doesn't really change that much because of today's news. Your thoughts are welcome on Twitter, at SportsUpTriad. 336-777-1600 is the phone number if you'd like to chime in that way. All right. I love the draft. I love college football, so I'm already familiar with a lot of these guys since we cover the Panthers closely and they've been a lock for a top 10 pick since early December. We're all draft experts throughout the spring around here. So I've put together best and worst case scenarios for Carolina in the first four rounds of the draft because attempting to project rounds five through seven is really for the birds. Let's start with round one. The best case scenario for Carolina is Tua. I know they have Teddy, but I am sold on Tua. He is my favorite quarterback in this draft. He's my second favorite player in this draft altogether. C.D. Lamb is number one in that regard. I love Tua. You won't have to worry about rebuilding and potentially tanking to try and get a quarterback. Nobody's tanking to get any other player than a quarterback. That's it. So if you lock down somebody you think can be a franchise quarterback, then you're set. Teddy Bridgewater, he could be great this year, and guess what? Somebody will want to trade for him. There's no pressure for Tua to play right out of the shoot. Tua, he's the most accurate quarterback we've seen come out in a very long time. He's often compared to Drew Brees. Drew Brees is exactly what the Panthers are looking for to have in their offense with Joe Brady, who was with the Saints a few years ago. So Tua is the best-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is pretty damn good. Derek Brown. I was listening to Ryan Rossillo earlier in this week, one of my favorites on radio who's now just doing podcasts for the Ringer. And I think he said it best. 
in a normal year, Derek Brown might be the number one pick in the draft. Like, in normal years where you don't have a freak like Chase Young and you don't have this many quarterbacks available. Like, in last year's draft, 2019, if you just throw Derek Brown in there, I'd missed the guys who were available. The quarterbacks that were taking Daniel Jones at number six and Dwayne Haskins later on. I think Derek Brown gets serious consideration to be a top three pick in last year's draft. He's that kind of good. He's a little short, a little, but he's massive and he's quick. He's the guy, every time I watched him with Auburn, I was always floored with his speed. It's kind of like Vince Wilfork. Every time I watched Vinny Wilfork, I thought, this guy is so massive, so round, but how the hell is he so fast? So I would have no issue at all if Carolina goes with Derrick Brown at number seven. That's the worst case. Second round. Best case scenario is Cesar Ruiz, the offensive lineman from Michigan, who you could put at center or at guard. Carolina hasn't gotten a lot out of Matt Paradis so far. So there's a chance he could be the center of the future or he could be the answer in filling the hole left by Trey Turner, who Carolina traded away in exchange for Russell Okun a few months ago. Ruiz, I don't think he's going to be available in the second round for Carolina. I saw a rumor that Jane Slater put out there, NFL Network Cowboys reporter, saying that the Cowboys were considering him at number 17. That's why they have interest in potentially trading back. I really like Ruiz. So best case scenario, he's available for Carolina early in the second round. The worst case scenario, I couldn't really pick one of these two corners, so I'll just list them both. Trayvon Diggs, who's Stephon Diggs' brother, corner from Alabama, or Kristen Fulton, who is the LSU corner that I'm sure Joe Brady knows quite a bit about. That would be the worst-case scenario. Carolina getting Derrick Brown and then picking up a corner they could add in round two to pair alongside another LSU player and Dante Jackson, former LSU Tiger. In the third round, best-case scenario, a player that might be taken very late in the second round, but Carolina could have their interior defensive line. Also, you could play him a bit as a DN. Jason Strobridge, who I loved at North Carolina last year. Matt Brown was gushing about this guy early on, saying, oh, he could be an NFL player next year. And later on in the season, we figured out what he was talking about. Strobridge, his stock has gone up. I don't know if he will be there in the third round for Carolina, but I really like him. Worst case scenario, Temple guy. Matt Hennessy, center, third round pick for Carolina. Fourth round, this is the last one we'll do here. Best case scenario, it's James Lynch, who I've seen. Robert, you're looking at mock drafts. I've seen James Lynch mocked everywhere. I've seen him late second. I've seen him all over the third. I've seen him in the fourth. I've never seen him in the fifth, but all over the place. Different evaluations for this edge. Baylor guy, there's the tie there for Matt Rule. If he's there in the fourth, That would be a very good scenario for Carolina that needs help with its pass rush and stopping the run. Worst case scenario, can't do much worse in the fourth round than drafting Thaddeus Moss. You lose Greg Olson. Ian Thomas, you're going to give him a shot to be the starting tight end this year. Why not pair him with somebody who already understands 
what Joe Brady is wanting to do. Joe Brady, he knows Thaddeus Moss. He's accomplished a lot. Thad Moss also was at NC State once upon a time. So there's some North Carolina connection there as well. It's Randy Moss's son. So Thaddeus Moss, worst case scenario for Carolina in the fourth round. Robert, I know you are a massive draft snob. This is your favorite time of the year. How would you feel about the Panthers' best case and worst cases I presented here? I agree with you. Uh, I like Javon Kinlaw just a tad more than I like Derek, but I don't think that that's uh, – it's splitting hairs at that point. Uh, and I, I like the the options that you have later in the draft. Uh, I like Thaddeus Moss just a little bit more than Lynch, but at that, at that cost, you're getting a guy who can block, he can catch, and he's familiar with your new offensive coordinator. I don't think you're going to be mad about that at all. I just noticed this, that – Every single one of the players I've listed here, other than Tua, defensive player. Got a lot of needs on defense. I think this needs to be a defensive-heavy draft. I would agree with Like, you. if Carolina doesn't pick up a wide receiver at any point, fine. Or I take that back. They picked up some offensive linemen. Which Tennessee I think is and Cesar the one position on offense that they really need to touch on. And yeah. Thaddeus Moss in, in your worst-case scenario. So there you go. And Thaddeus Moss. Yeah. I could read my own draft board here. It's great. Uh, do you think the best case is better than the worst case? Yeah. Uh, for most of your picks, yeah. Who'd you have in the second round? Uh, best case, Tua, Ruiz, Strobridge, Lynch. Worst case, Derek Brown. Either one of those corners in the SEC, Hennessy, and Thad Moss. I'll take worst case. Really? Give me worst case. Is it because of Tua? Yes, 100% because of Tua. I'm just not going to pay a dude not to play. You know what I mean? That's just not me. But also, I'm not the Panthers general manager. So, Well, I'm just saying, if Carolina has someone they believe can be a franchise guy, and you don't know for sure if Teddy is that, pick Tua, give Teddy a chance to prove himself, and it's not a bad situation to be in with the most important position. You have... Two great quarterbacks. Somebody's going to want to trade for Teddy Bridgewater. It's not a bad contract if Teddy proves it this year. If he doesn't, then it's a perfect bridge, using the pun, quarterback to Tua. Yeah, I would agree with you if everything's a perfect world, but I think we all know that it's not. Uh, it would be harder to move Teddy if he sucks, and then you have to take pay. You have to move Tua to start. Or Teddy's great, and then Tua sits for two years, and that kind of takes away some of the allure of a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal. I don't know if he would sit for two years. I think I think if you draft Tua, it's with the expectation that that guy will be your starter in 2021, kind of like what the Chiefs did, where they moved up, they took Mahomes. Alex Smith, go look at the numbers. He was really good in 2017, but they they knew what they had in Mahomes. And people, you can listen to talk radio that day. You can find some of the cold... Uh, 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 what is it? Hot takes exposed or cold takes exposed? Cold yeah, cold takes exposed. You can find that, and you will find a lot of people saying this is a massive risk by Andy Reid getting rid of a quarterback you know could take you to the playoffs for Pat Mahomes, who was a 500 quarterback in college. Yeah, I he think knew it was, what we had. I think it was a little bit easier to move Alex Smith than it would be for, to move Teddy Bridgewater. Depending on how good Teddy is. Exactly. And there so are if a he lot sucks of weapons. and you have to start Tua, then I think it would be harder to trade him. And there are a lot of weapons Carolina has this year. You have McCaffrey. You have all these wide receivers. I don't think Teddy is going to be 
I, I think Teddy's going to be productive. I, I do. Is that going to translate to wins? Yeah, well, that remains to be seen. But I think that's the best-case scenario. Tua falls there. It's not a bad spot to be in to think you have a franchise quarterback or a couple of people who could be that. All right. Tomorrow we got BDOT on the show. Lord knows what direction that's going to go in. Thursday, we got the trio of Darren Vaught, Adam Gold, our early afternoon host, and we got Joe Person, Panthers reporter from the Athletic Carolinas. So it's really a big week here on Sports Up Triad. We're going to carry the draft Thursday night. It's going to be Jay Glazer, Joel Klatt, who I really like on college football with Gus Johnson, and uh, also Jay Glazer going to be a part of that broadcast too. And you can listen to that on Sports Up Triad Thursday night. And a reminder that if you're in your home and wanting to listen to the show and you have an Alexa or a Google Home, just say, hey, Google, hey, Alexa, play Sports Hub Triad Radio. And voila, it'll play for you there. Search the best of podcasts, which will be on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Wherever you get your podcast in just a little bit, just search The Drive with Josh Graham, and it's going to be available to you. Robert, what do you got in Ticket to the House today? You could lead a horse to water, but can you make it zoom? Oh, man. Now that zoom is a more popular term, there's a couple of plays on words that could be there. We'll figure out what Robert's getting at next. Want to become a real sports fan? Leave it right here. It turns everyone it touches into raging psychotics. All things sports. Well, sometimes. On The Drive with Josh Graham. Before we get to former NFL wide receiver Terrence Copper, former New Orleans Saint, former Kansas City Chief, there is a headline I want to get to from minor league baseball where apparently, according to Baseball America, there is a conversation taking place between minor league baseball and major league baseball to see if there are going to be cuts from 160 minor league teams that are sanctioned by major league baseball to 120 affiliated teams. A couple of years ago, this was brought up and it was fervently rejected by minor league baseball. But with everything going on with coronavirus, it's back on the table, and there's an update to bring to you, which we'll provide in a little over five minutes. But we're now being joined by Terrence Copper, who was one of my good friends when I was out east, former East Carolina Pirate, former New Orleans Saint, former Kansas City Chief, somebody who didn't miss a lot of games in college or in the pros, and it's good to have you back on in the triad, Terrence. What's the best story you can tell me that speaks to the degree of accuracy Drew Brees had? Ah, uh, man, it's it's so many stories. You know, the, the biggest thing about Drew is he was the first one in the weight room, and he was the last guy off the field. And, and not only was he the last guy off the field, the receivers, people didn't know, the receivers, we had to stay afterwards afterwards. I mean, afterwards with them, you know, because we, we had to throw extra routes with them. 
Uh, one thing a lot of people don't know is Drew is not a he's not a tall he's not a tall quarterback. So timing is everything for him because there's times where if you look closely, he's trying to look over the line of scrimmage, but sometimes he can't see. But we practice these routes so much that the timing of it, he can throw to a spot, and we're there because we so we're so in tune with each other because we practice it all the time, not just during practice but after practice. But that's the type of guy Drew was, man. He's 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 a workhorse. Not only does he expect excellence out of out of his players, but he also gives it as well. It's funny. Joe Brady's the new offensive coordinator for the Panthers. He was with LSU last year, and we saw the season Joe Burrow had the year before that. He was in New Orleans as an offensive assistant, and he said that it was so easy to have his offense be successful with the Saints because of how accurate Drew was, and then that translated when he went to LSU because Burrow he was a significantly accurate quarterback as well. And then when I look at most of the comparisons during the draft process, I see Tua at Alabama, best compared to Drew because you guessed it, he has maybe the most accuracy of any quarterback we've seen come out in a very long time. So as a receiver, Terrence, and somebody who watches a lot of college football, who would you most like to run routes for, Tua or Burrow? Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, man, probably that's tough. That's tough. I, I would say, oh, that's a tough one. I'm still trying to think. Well, let me ask you this: Have you ever caught passes from a lefty? I have. You know, there's and there's not a lot of left-handed quarterbacks that play in the league, but the guy that I caught passes from, his name was Tyler Palco from Pittsburgh. He went to Pittsburgh. Yes. Uh, he was left-handed. And it's something you got to get used to uh, because the ball spin, it seems it tails away from you differently when you catch from a left-hander. Uh, and so it's something you got to get used to, but once you get used to it, you know, it's, it's no big difference. What but, do you What do you find most, diff- uh, most interesting about Tua where people are considering whether or not they should draft him very high because they haven't had a chance to get their own medical people, uh, get a hold of him, and have their own evaluation of Tua. What do you think of everything that's being discussed around him? I think that is very, you know, it's concerning, his injuries. Uh, if he wasn't injury, if he wasn't injury prone, I would say Shucks, he may go number one overall when it comes to quarterbacks over Burrow. But he's shown to it's tough for him to to stay healthy a full year. And in the NFL, the season is longer. You know, the hits may be a little harder. You know, so, you know, he has to be on the field. And if you're a franchise quarterback and you're going to turn a program around, even if you're not a franchise quarterback, if you're at that position, you got to be healthy because if you don't have a good quarterback, it's a big difference in your team. It's a big difference. So, he has to stay on the field. He has to stay healthy. And and if I'm if I'm going to invest that amount of money in him, I I need I need to see more. I need to see the doctor records. And plus, I still may not draft him over Burrow because of his injuries. Even if he was, even if he does have a a clean bill of health uh, coming into the draft, I still may draft him second because of the fact that you know he's always been injury prone. And and the thing about that is, usually if you're injury prone before you get to the league more than likely that's going to continue to some to some nature. 
It's Terrence Copper with us here, and another reason I wanted to have you on is because I think we forget how much we love sports uh, when we're fully ingrained in a schedule and we take for granted just the next thing that's there. And when it's all taken away, you kind of then have more of a sense of the value that holds in your life and all of our lives. And if you're listening to the sports radio, you probably love sports yourself and are missing all of these games. You're somebody who played for the Saints when Drew Brees first got there in 2006, Sean Payton first arriving as well, but it was in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina that com- that community lost their football team in 2005 as you guys went off to San Antonio. You arrived in 2006, but they still hadn't played any games there until that Monday night game against Atlanta. But what do you remember mm-hmm. about New Orleans when you first arrived there well before the season started? It was hot. It was humid, and it was hot. That was the biggest thing I noticed. But before the game started, before the season started, luckily when I got there, I met some people that was actually from New Orleans. Uh, and they really took me around and showed me the different wards and different things where the flood was. And, you know, the biggest thing I noticed about New Orleans before games even started playing was the people. They treated you like family. Um there's nobody that was a stranger to you because everybody showed just that love for you. Uh, and, and that's what I can say. It's just a big family. The people makes New Orleans. Uh, people say the football team, of course, that that holds it together. But it's the people, man. The people makes New Orleans. And it make you want to be a part of that culture What because, mo- just because of the people. What most sticks out to you about that Monday night game? Gleason's blocked kick and uh, the touchdown and the Saints winning in the first game that they played there in a very long time? The emotion. It was so emotional there because you got to think about it. You know, a lot of people died in the Superdome. A lot of people lost their family members. Uh, And so just coming back to the Superdome and playing again and getting that win versus our rival, the Falcons, you know, it was just, it was crazy because once the game was over, you look up in the stands and you had grown men, women, children, boo-hoo crying. I'm talking about boo-hoo. I'm talking about just flat out, can't hold their emotions together, crying. Teammates on the sideline, they're crying. It was, it was a very emotional game, very emotional. Terrence, appreciate you sharing uh, some time with us. When, when sports gets back uh, fully fledged, and we have a lot of things to break down on the football front r- rather than talking about the virus and what-ifs. We'll have you back on, and we'll talk some ball. But I appreciate you spending time with us in the meantime. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. Invite me back any time, man. It's nice talking to you. Yeah, you got it. That's Terrence Copper, former chief, forder, uh, former saint, of course. Uh, before we get to a couple other NFL things, I promised some stuff on minor league baseball here. I love minor league baseball. I actually prefer going to minor league games more than major league games, if you could believe that. I compare it to going to the pool versus going to the beach. Robert, what do you like more, the pool or the beach? Uh, They both have their positives. I guess I prefer the pool because I hate sand. Yes, it's messier. It's probably more expensive to go to the beach. It's more of an ordeal to get to the beach. The pool... You can have one in your backyard. You can have one right around the corner. It's probably less people, less crowded. That's minor league baseball to me. I can go in and out 
easier. It's cheaper. It's something I enjoy a lot more. And that's why this is tough news for me, where Major League Baseball has proposed to Minor League Baseball that they're going to cut leagues from 160 teams to a one, uh, to 120 affiliated teams. And it seems on a conference call tomorrow, Minor League Baseball is going to concede that because there aren't any minor league games being played and a lot of the money in minor league baseball is made during the season, made at the gate. But if you're looking for some positive news... It's not expected to affect the dash. It's not expected to affect the grasshoppers. The New York Times, they had a lot of teams listed. I see the Danville Braves among them. I see the Burlington Royals among them. But the teams that have stake in minor league teams, they are going to be okay in this. I think about the Mudcats, where I believe the Brewers have stake in that franchise. The Houston Astros, they have stake in Fayetteville. The Rangers, they have stake in the Wood Ducks. I don't know for sure, but I think the White Sox actually have ownership stake in the Whites uh, in the Winston-Salem Dash. I don't know that for sure, but I think that's the case. The Dash, they should be fine as a result. The Grasshoppers in low A ball, they should be fine as well. It is tough news because I love minor league baseball and it's such an integral part of the North Carolina sports scene that people outside the state, quite frankly, don't understand when we talk about it. But we have some of the best minor league parks in America with BB&T Ballpark in Winston, BB&T Ballpark in Charlotte. You have the five-county stadium in Zebulon, I personally love Granger Field in Kinston, the Down East Wood Ducks. Robert, we're about the Wood Ducks around here. Do you really say Zebulon? I, d- I don't want to do this again. It's but Zebulon. I think most people say Zebulon. No, they do not. I know this one for sure. I grew up in the county right next to Zebulon. It is Zebulon. It's not Zebulon. I will fight you in the street over this. Okay, I'm going to sue you one day over all these assault charges. 336-777-1600. Is it Zebulon or Zebulon? I'm willing to take the L on West Forsyth versus West Forsyth. But I'm not taking the L on Zebulon versus Zebulon. You can just bleep off on that. Up next, Roy Williams. Had a defense for college basketball this morning. Keep it here on the drive. An authentic American genius. So without further ado, here is Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Gotta love draft week. Tom Brady's a buck, and now his number one target with the Patriots, Rob Gronkowski is going to join him in Tampa. Within the last hour, we learned he was interested in playing in the NFL again, only if he could be a buck. It required a trade to get done. The Patriots send Gronk and a seventh rounder to Tampa Bay in exchange for a fourth rounder in this year's draft. We're excited about the draft. We're excited about this segment, but all day we've been talking about what to name it. Robert, where are we at on a name for this draft 
Does it sound best when we say NFL draft, fantasy draft? Is that the best way to do it? I don't think so. I think the best way to do it is just say our 2020 NFL fantasy draft draft. Okay. So this is our 2020 NFL fantasy draft draft. Why can't we just say draft once? Because then it's just, where are we drafting? Fantasy animals? If so, I will take a unicorn at number two. No, but yeah, it's NFL but this is fantasy about, draft. But it's about the NFL draft contestants, or else we would be able to draft Mahomes and draft a bunch of stars. And golems. and uh, These are just guys who are participating in the draft. So I like what Robert's doing there. It's the 2020 NFL draft draft. The Atlanta Braves select Jason Hurts. The New Orleans Pelicans select Zion Williamson. Baltimore Ravens select Lamar Jackson. The Charlotte Hornets select P.J. Washington Jr. The Carolina Panthers select Cam Newton. Bang, 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 bang. With the NFL Draft right around the corner, the drive with Josh Graham is on the clock. This is the 2020 NFL Draft Draft. I have the number one pick. Robert, are you picking second or Aaron is picking second? I am picking second and Aaron is picking third. All right. I have the number one pick. I am on the clock. I am ready to go. My number one pick is Tua Tungavaloa from Alabama. I've said it all along. I just think he's a better quarterback. Then Burrow, I think he has a more uh, a bigger ceiling. I do recognize he's a bigger risk too, but he's younger. The numbers don't really lie with Tua. I have a longer sample of excellence from Tua than I do Burrow. So Tua is my number one pick in the NFL draft draft. Aaron, who do you got? It's me though. Uh, oh, it's I'm Robert. Up, yeah, I'm up second, and uh, I, I expected this to go one of two ways. I either expected Josh to go Tua at the top of the board, which would force my hand into the second quarterback, or you would allow me to maybe get a pick with my or a quarterback with my second pick. But that's not going to happen, so I am going to go Joe Burrow with my second pick. Joe Burrow is off the board. Aaron, who are you taking with your first round pick? Well, predictably, you all took. Uh, Tua and Burrow off the board, uh, which leaves me uh, with the remaining quarterbacks. However, curveball, I'm going wide out. I will select C.D. Lamb, wide receiver, Oklahoma. Wow, he was second on my big board. Dynamic game changer that C.D. Lamb is. All right, snake draft, who do you got next? With my snake draft pick, I will address my backfield. And I would take DeAndre Swift, running back, University of Georgia. I like that pick. Very little tread on the tires. Shifty guy. Super shifty guy. A lot of running backs have gone through Georgia the last few years. A lot of them very good. So you have a guy who has a lot of uh, carries remaining in his tank as he goes into the NFL. Robert, second round, second pick. You have Burrow. Who's next? Uh, I'm going to pair Jerry Judy with Joe Burrow and just have the Jays running wild over here. Jerry Judy. His nickname's Jew. 
He will not be called that on my team. He will be Judy or Jerry or Jer Bear. Anything but that. Oh, Robert's very nice uncomfortable. Song. I don't like that. Wow, anti-Semitic Robert. No, that's not it as much as I don't just like God. Hey, I'm going to add Christian to my team. Everyone, Christian. Next is Buddhist. Last pick in the second round, I'm going to pair Tua with Henry Ruggs. Already got some chemistry there. A lot of speed on the field. He might be the next Tyreek Hill. Who knows? And to kick off the third round, I'm going to address my backfield too. The number one running back on my board, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. Our format here, we're going quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, a flex, and a tight end. So no kicker in this draft. No coach, no defense, anything of that sort. So if you're wondering what the format is, it's just that. I have Tua, I have Wisconsin's Jonathan Taylor, and I have Henry Ruggs. Robert has Burrow, Jerry Judy, Aaron has DeAndre Swift, and C.D. Lamb still needs a quarterback on his team. Robert, you're up next. I'm going to go with my backfield and finally address that, and I'm going to go with Joe Burrow's familiar teammate, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I knew this is where you were going to go. You've raved about this guy. You love I Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think he's a Ray Rice clone that's less prone to hit his girlfriend in an elevator. I like him, too. He was on the board. Daniel Jeremiah says that he would just be the perfect running back to have for Tom Brady if he's available in the second round. Man, that would be a great spot for him to go, but I like the combo you have there of Burrow, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Jerry Judy. SEC heavy so far in our draft. In fact, I think I'm the only guy who hasn't drafted an SEC player with every single one of his picks. I have Jonathan Taylor uh, from Wisconsin. Aaron, you're up next. Up next? Um, Let's see. You got I two picks, my friend. Address. My second wideout spot. I'm going to come around and select Justin Jefferson. Wideout LSU. He did have better numbers than Jamar Chase for much of the year, but then Chase came on strong. Chase is a guy who's going to be taken in the top 10 next year. He has speed. He's essentially Antonio Brown, except he's bigger. That's that's Jamar Chase, but Jefferson's great, too. He's going to go in the first round. Next uh, pick for you, Aaron. I want to address my second running back position. Come around and pick up J.K. Dobbins. J.K. all day. Out of uh, Ohio State. Love Gus Johnson on the call there. Robert, who's next? On my board, I am going to address the wide receiver position. Uh, With Judy, I'm getting a great route runner. And I want to add some speed to that. I'm taking Denzel Mims out of Baylor. Denzel Mims was my next wide receiver on the board, too. Uh, Actually, I take that back. I have one higher. And this is a guy I think I'm going to go ahead and take right now. I'm going to go with T. Higgins out of Clemson as my second wide receiver. And I'm going to quickly turn things around here and address my flex spot. I'm going to go wide receiver yet again. And it's going to be Michael Pittman Jr. wide out out of USC. Good guy you can have in the red zone. I think he can play the X and the Z. Michael Pittman Jr. rounds out my wide receiving core. 
And does that come back to me or it does. Is it back to Aaron? Okay, cool. Uh, I am going to go ahead and solidify. I love how we're all playing scared. There's not really a, a, a matchmaking tight end in here that I'd like to spend my money on yet. Maybe there is for you guys. I'm approaching tight end like kicker. Yeah, it's going to be my last pick. Uh, yeah, I, I can I can wait on that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and grab uh, another wide receiver I really love at a TCU, uh, Jalen Rager. I've been on and off about Rager. I actually got an email about Jalen Rager last night. I just don't know what exactly he is. I don't know. Like, who's the best comp for Rager? I love watching TCU. Brian Estridge is the voice of the team. He spent time at App State, too. Uh, they've had some good wide receivers to come out of there. I think about uh, Doxon for the Redskins came out of TCU. But I just don't know what he is. It's an interesting prospect. It really is. He's a good athlete. He reminds me a lot of maybe a guy who – I don't think he has terrible routes as much as people want to decline his favor on there. But I'm going to – I would say he's kind of like a Curtis Samuel, somebody who is super athletic and, and can really do a lot of stuff for you. Maybe nothing great, but he can do a lot of stuff. Aaron, let's speed this up a little bit. We have a few more picks left to go. Who are you taking? Fair enough. I'm going to come around and I'm going to address my flex spot. So I will take – actually, no. I'm going to come around. I'm just going to – You have back-to-back picks here, Aaron. Yeah, Gabriel. I'm just going to do a tight end here. Uh, let's go with – I'm going to take Albert Aquabanom out of Missouri. You would pick the dude with the hardest name to spell. I'm over here Holy to, But I nailed it, though. But yeah, I you nailed did. it. Oh, who's your next pick, Aaron? Real quick. I'm going to come around now and take my flex position – and go local out of Appalachian State. This is the speed guy. Is that Darrington Evans? Darrington Evans, yeah. the running back. Clicks. I had him pretty high up on my board, too. That's a good pick on your part. Robert Walsh, you are next up on the clock. It seems like you need either a running back or a tight end here. I'm going to stick with running back, and I'm going to go with a guy I really dig, especially in the fourth or fifth rounds. Uh, played at BC, AJ. Ah, oh, damn it! You would take A.J. Dillon. Oh! He was a stud. I feel like that dude was ACC ground player of the week God, every single hurts. week. That really stings. I thought I was going to get Dillon right there. Oh, that hurts. I'm going to go Cam Akers at running back out of Florida State. He's a speedster. And to round out my draft, I'm going to go Thaddeus Moss out of LSU as my tight end. Robert, last pick of the draft. Who are you going to take? I'm going to grab my tight end here, and if Notre Dame does anything well, it's tight ends. I'm going to take the consensus number one tight end on the board, Cole Commit. Cole Commit out of Notre Dame, your pick. Aaron, last pick of the draft. You need a quarterback. Who are you taking? Of course, I'm going to go with Oregon's quarterback, Justin Herbert. I like the dual threat. And there you have it. Pick on Twitter who had the best draft. Myself, Robert, or Aaron, I have Tua at quarterback, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers at running back, wide receivers, Henry Ruggs, T. Higgins, my flex is Michael Pittman Jr., my tight end is Thaddeus Moss, Robert has Joe Burrow, his LSU teammate Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at running back, A.J. Dillon joining him in the backfield, Jerry Judy, and Denzel Mims, his wide receivers, Jalen Rager is his flex, and Randy got his team's Cole Kmet from uh, Notre Dame. 
Aaron is taking Justin Herbert, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson, Derek Evans, and the tight end I have no clue how to pronounce out of Missouri. Equabonom. Yes, that. If you take a step back from all the spin, I think Tua's destination is clear and obvious. I'll tell you where that is next. 